Welcome to the Viva Young Adults podcast. We're the Young Adults Ministry of Viva Church, and we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're already a part of YA or a guest with us today, we hope that what's shared encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. And single. And I am taking applications. So, application deadline, June 1st. <laughs> Kidding, I'm not taking an application. His mother is, but I am not. All right. So, man, I just, I, I just didn't want to get out of this thing. Maybe we could do something different today and go back into it at the end. I don't know, something. Something, something, something. No? Just keep going. Now, listen, here's the deal. You know, I've never wanted to build a ministry and build a stage where, you know, we'd have one person, you know, kind of shining or one person being exalted above others or anything like that. That was never a heart. That was never what we were about. That was never what we wanted to create. It's kind of the reason why we've got, you know, the room set up the way that we've got. So there's not like a front row and a back row or back section or, you know, kind of a stage, but we're all in this together and, and the person that's preaching tonight is very close and dear to my heart, near and dear to my heart. And, you know, you may not, some of you may know her, some of you may not know her. If you don't know her, get with the program and get to know her. Uh, you know, the reason why you're able to be here tonight and you're able to enjoy yourselves, you know, week after week, or sorry, month after month, you know, every young adult in this and enjoy the food and the cafe and this and that because we've got some very dedicated, devoted uh, volunteers that help out in the kitchen and that, you know, that make sure that you guys are be able to be blessed. And Michelle is the one that hosts that team and that leads that team. And so, you know, <laughs> Michelle... <clears throat> Um, you know, she's like, man, I just want to be back there and do my thing and just help out and, and this and that. And she's not a front person, but it's not only the people, the microphones that have something good to say. And as much as I like to think <laughs> that I'm the only one that has something good to say, no, I don't think, I really don't think that. Um, you know, the, the reality is, is we have some amazing, talented, gifted people that hear from God. And it's not just me. It's not just the pastors. Listen, the reason why Jesus died and that, tore, that veil was torn from top to bottom was so that everyone could have access to his presence, was so that everyone could have access to the revelation of Jesus Christ and of God himself. And so it's not just pastors that hear from God. And it's not just, you know, top tier leaders that, that hear from God. And tonight, Michelle is just a faithful, just a, a sweetheart, and, you know, again, she's, she hates everything I'm saying right now. I just want to say that. But the reality is this. Even though she might be back there, she still hears from God. And I know she has a word from God. And she's got something for us tonight. So why don't you give her your greatest welcome, the greatest applause, and give her your greatest of attention because you're about to be blessed tonight. So, Michelle, go for it. All righty. Good evening. How are you all doing? Good. I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure here. <laughs> so um, again, my name is Michelle. And for those that don't know me, um, I am a member of the Young Adults Exec Leadership Team. And um, I, you'll probably 
like, I'm sure if you don't know me, you've seen me floating in and out of the kitchen on our usual young adult services. Um, or on Sunday mornings, I'm cuddling with babies in the nursery. So if um, any of you are interested in those areas, please come talk to me while I have this mic. Okay. So a show of hands, who was here when I last spoke back in August? Do you remember what it was on? Yeah, so it was on the Ministry of Consistency, okay? And I just want to say that I've been really blessed to hear your feedback in how, you know, some of, them, how some of you really took that message, applied it, and began embodying um, consistency in your relationships and with the house of God. Now, are you ready for tonight? Are you ready for the word for tonight? Okay, all right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your tangible presence here. Father, we thank you for the word that you want to bring into our hearts tonight. God, I pray that it be none of me, but all of you, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us into all truth, that we would not leave this place the same as when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so as I was praying for tonight and I was been preparing, I really felt the Lord impress upon my heart to speak on obedience. Now, obedience, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of obedience? Anyone? Rules. Okay, anyone else? A dog? Okay. Yeah. Actually, if you Google obedience, that's actually what comes up a lot of dog training. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I know that obedience definitely brings a bag of mixed emotions, right? And it's usually negative more than positive. Um, but what I hope to do tonight is really shed light on the tremendous power that obedience to God brings in realizing His will for our lives as well as realizing the kingdom of God here on earth. All right? So I wanted to go back to our earliest understanding of obedience, which was during our formative years, right? As a kid, I was a scaredy cat, I admit it, okay? And I never outright defied authority, but I disobeyed in, like, the small stuff that my parents wouldn't notice because they're busy working multiple jobs, making ends meet. The only problem was that I have an older brother, six and a half years older, and he has eyes like a hawk. And he's meticulous and he's merciless when it comes to calling me out on all my wrongdoings. Okay? So I'm like eight or nine years old and I come home from school and I'm starving. You know that like when you're a kid and it's just like, it's not that you didn't eat lunch, but you're just, you know, ravaged, right? And, and I had just finished my precious bag of Calbee chips. Anybody know Calbee chips, Laura? Calbee chips? You don't know Calbee potato chips? Look, look there. <laughs> shrimp crackers, pocky sticks, anyone? Yeah, all right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about or think that I'm speaking a foreign language, then you're missing out in life. That's all I have to say, okay? All right, so um, as, I, as I mentioned, um, because of our family financial situation, we didn't get snacks often. So when we did, my brother would get a bag and I would get my own bag, right? And uh, I just finished mine and obviously, I began eyeing my brother's bag in the cupboard. And so, with the TV blaring, I climbed the counter, and I grabbed his bag, and I quietly unclipped it, and made my way, and helped myself. And guys, this takes a lot of self-control, because I need to take as much as I can to make this worthwhile, but then I can't take so much that it becomes so noticeable, right? Like, I don't have the self-control that Marcelo does, but... <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, so I helped myself to it, and then I put it back, and then I went happily back to my room. Few short moments later, I felt this heavy wrath of my brother come. And he stormed into my room, and he let me have a piece of his mind. 
And then he went downstairs and told my mom. And then next thing I heard, Michelle, you come down here right now. And so I was like, I was scared. And so I walked down the stairs, slowly, but not too slow. And then I walked down, um, turned the corner into the kitchen. And then when my eyes met my mom's, she's like, and that means bring the feather duster. Do you know what the feather duster is? It is like the staple rod of discipline for Chinese households. Okay, that's how it looks like. All right, so you see the feather on the one end, and then there's this long bamboo handle that's perfect for whipping. All right? Okay, so the moment that those words came out of my mom's mouth, I was, I immediately begged for mercy. Because at that point in my life, my priority was to avoid physical pain. I didn't care about pride. I didn't care about any of that sort. It was just, I don't want to be in pain. And so I was like, no, 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 mom, please don't. I don't want, like, I'll never do it again, I promise. And all the while, my brother, he's on the sidelines, heaping more evidence of my misbehavior and, like, reminding my mom of my track record and really adding fuel to the fire, right? So thankfully, my mom gave me a very firm scolding to never touch my brother's stuff again. And then she let me go. And then in retrospect, my mom said that she wasn't really into physical discipline. It was more like a scare tactic that really worked well on me. <laughs> yeah, so, but, and I'm sure that you guys can relate with your own childhood stories, right? Some more intense than others. Um, but what we gleaned from our early days is that um, our obedience is tied to results. Our obedience is tied to, you know, consequences. And we obey out of fear, right? And then as we grow older, what happens is that we learn to res- we learn obedience based on respect and honor, right? So it's, instead of just purely results-driven, we become more relationship-driven, right? So when we obey someone, it's because we respect them, like to a pastor or a teacher, right? And sometimes what's interesting is we may respect or obey someone out of respect because not because... Um, they deserve it in a sense of merit or credential, but because of social, cultural norms and values. So, for example, in East Asian cultures, um, you know, we're heavily influenced by Confucius, which is a, a Chinese philosopher. And he taught humble submission to authority or those older. So they assume that age signifies dignity. So the older, the wiser, right? And so growing up, we were required to... Um, you know, address those that are older than us by certain terms. And the English equivalent would be like older brother, older sister, or auntie, uncle, which is very, you know, common in other cultures too. And the moment, it's like this, because that value is so much ingrained in my upbringing and my culture, that the moment I call someone auntie, it's like it creates this polite distance. And then I then assume this lower position of, res- of obeying and respecting them. Okay, and that posture then dictates how I relate to them. Okay, now um, the other thing is that so with that distance, then I could never be buddy buddies with an auntie. Okay, so it kind of tells me that distance tells me how I am to relate to her. And then uh, lastly, in terms of what we're motivated to or how we're motivated to obey, we, we obey based on love as well, right? So it's founded on a trust relationship. And there's a sense of safety and assurance. And it's based on the fact that, you know, you trust that the person in authority uh, cares about you and wants the best for your life, right? And it's most compelling and it's um, you're, because you're very willing to obey in that sense. 
Now, in all that I'm talking about, I want to introduce kind of obedience involving this idea of distance, okay? So this distance between the person that obeys and the person in authority, and how this distance actually informs us how our, our motivation as well as our degree of obedience. So for example, let's say you're all interns at a big corporate company, okay? The way that you relate and obey the CEO whom you've never seen before versus your team leader whom you rub shoulders with every day is going to be very different, right? And so if I were to talk about our distance with God, what would be our distance with God? And how would that distance inform us of how we relate to God? Well, first of all, you know, God is God. Is God. He's everlasting, right? His greatness is unsearchable. All power and glory belongs to him. You know, all wisdom and knowledge, you know, originate from him. He's the Alpha Omega, right? And so he's our creator. We are his creation. He formed man out of the dust. I mean, you get the point that our distance with him is profound. It's, it's there, we have an infinite gap with him, okay? And Isaiah 40, 12 to 13 says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice and teach him? And then Psalm 113.5 says, The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high? And I love what pulpit commentary says. It says this, The highest created being does not approach within anything but an immeasurable distance to God. So that means we have an immeasurable distance to God, right? And my first point is this. God, being who he is, the great I am, the supreme authority, commands our obedience. Okay? So um, this is quoted from Charles Spurgeon's um, sermon. He says, God has an unquestioned right to every breath we breathe, to every thought we think, to every moment of our lives, and to every capacity of our being. We believe in Jehovah as rightful lawgiver and as most fitly our ruler. This loyalty of our mind is based on faith and a chief prompter to obedience. Cultivate always this feeling. The Lord is our Father, but he is also our Father which art in heaven. <laughs> I believe Spurgeon is underlying distance here, okay? Where God is our Father, but he's also our Father who art in heaven, that means that we need to behold God in awe, with awe and reverence. You know, it means that, you know, when he is rightly honored, obedience becomes an automatic response, right? Just as when we were worshiping here and the manifest presence of God is here, it's like you can't help but worship, right? There's an automatic response that comes about. And the problem is when we um, don't see him as he truly is, that's when it gets casual. We approach God casually, right? And that's where his instructions or commandments to us become, you know, optional or conditional, right? And, and that his commandments become suggestions. And what this casualness with God is revealing a distorted understanding of our appropriate distance with God, okay? So, um, and it's like we're not subjecting ourselves to his lordship, but we're actually treating him as our equal. Yeah, and... And rather than surrender all our control to him, we're actually holding on to control. So the difference is you're like, oh, what does that mean? Well, when you're in relationship with God, either God calls the shots or you do, right? So you could have God in your life, but you could still call the shots. 
And you could be in relationship with him, but you still call the shots, right? So what happens is, and what I've noticed, and I've been really convicted of this, is where obedience then is used as a, as a means to an intended end. And we revert back to that early childhood understanding of obedience, which is driven by results. So, for example, we either use God with use obedience as earning favor with God to kind of leverage with him. And what I've done before, and I've prayed these prayers, I'm like, God, I did this for you. I did that for you. I've served faithfully. Why didn't you answer my prayer? You know, or um, when you use obedience directly as a means to an end, it's like, if God does A, I'll do B. So God, if God makes me rich, I'll tithe, right? Or if, if I tithe, then God will make me rich. Even that. And it's not to say that I don't believe God will bless you when you tithe, when you give 10% of all that God has given to us, right, of your income. It's not to say that we're not positioned. The truth is we still are positioned to receive his blessings because that's what the word says, right? There are divine laws. But that shouldn't be our prime motivation, right? We tithe, we give because God commands us to, because the word says so. And... All this is to say, it's almost like we forget that he is the potter and we are the clay in his hands, right? And Isaiah 45, 9, 11, 12 says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I'm the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. All right, a show of hands. Who here has gone skydiving? I know a bunch of you did last year. Oh, all right. And who wants to do it? Oh, all right. So if I were to say, and this is not me, I would never do it. But if I were to say that we're all skydiving, right? And we're with our skydiving coach in the middle of the sky or air, whatever it is, and your coach signals you to pull the parachute, you would instantly and fully obey that command, right? Because literally you don't want to die, <laughs> right? I would agree with that. Or you would agree, right? But at the core of it, you are really trusting in the experience and the expertise of the skydiving instructor, right? And the distance that you have with your skydiving instructor is based on how much you know about skydiving versus how much he or she knows about skydiving, right? So now if I were to take a step back and say, with our relationship with God, if God is the one we have this immeasurable distance with, if he is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, Lord over all, and we profess him to be Lord of our lives, then why is it that we delay, we hesitate, and we partially obey him? Right? And so, does it not expose that we have a fundamental disconnect between what we believe and what we profess? Does it not show that maybe we have a distrust towards God? Um, that we lack a reverence towards him? Or maybe, even maybe, that we somehow know better because we choose our way over his way? And, you know, I... I um, I saw this statement in one of the commentaries as I was reading up on the obedience of faith. And it talks about this. There is no true faith which does not produce obedience. 
I'm going to say that again. There's no true faith which does not produce obedience. Meaning, if we truly believe God to be who he is, the result can only be obedience. And now, like, I I know we're kind of lingering on that, but um, I just want to bring you to a second point, my second point, which is while we obey God as a response to who he is in his awesomeness and as head overall, his love also compels us to obey. And, you know, what's really cool is that God didn't allow this immeasurable distance with us to be what defines our relationship with him, us. He didn't let his greatness and his supreme attributes act as a barrier to our intimacy with him. And what actually Charles Spurgeon says in his sermon is that God draws near to us in condescension, which means that God came down from his high place to make himself known and to reveal to us. And... Um, you know, in John, first, first John, uh, John chapter 1, it says, where the word became flesh and made its dwelling amongst us. Guys, there's no other God or deity in any other religion that would humbly and willingly step down into his, his creation. There's none. And being fully God, fully man, Jesus walked this earth and he became obedient, you know, and he... Um, learn obedience by the things he suffered. He wasn't exempt from it. And he understands every bit of our humanity. Jesus didn't eliminate the distance. You have to get this straight. He didn't say, oh, there's no more immeasurable distance between us because God is still God and we are still human. We are still formed from the dust of the earth, right? But what he did was Jesus transcended that distance and he understands every bit of our humanity. He bore the penalty of our sins and gave us his righteousness so that we can boldly approach his throne of grace and have direct access to them, to us, to him, sorry. Philippians 2, 6, 8 says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. How many of you know, know that song, Son of Suffering? We sang it at our Good Friday service, right? And I just love that song and how it beautifully describes the paradox of God, this God that we have an immeasurable distance with, this God that dwells in unapproachable light, who's immortal, would weep, would bleed, would suffer to reach us. And... The thing is, that's not all, guys. Like, this is what kind of blew my mind again as I was reminded of this, is when Jesus died and, and resurrected and ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to become our constant companion, right? I want us to kind of pause for a moment, okay? God, immeasurable, God, immeasurable distance to this God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, will live inside you and me. That the Holy that God, the great I am, actually we sang it this morning, the great I am lives in me. God lives in his creation. Like, I, I don't understand that. It's beyond human comprehension. And um, it's like, and, and the th fact is that not that we love God, but that he first loved and he, he gave his life um, for us to take away our sins. And I just want to encourage you, like, if we can anchor ourselves in the sheer immensity of 
his love and affection towards us, then obedience becomes a natural response, right? Then obedience becomes a conscious response as well, too. And um, this is key because if we don't firmly establish ourselves in the goodness of God and his gift of grace, then we can easily slip into legalism where we are bound again by the law and we strive to earn his favor when really we're, we're obeying from the position that we're already made right with God because of the finished work of Jesus, of the cross. And, you know, sometimes I think it's easy for us to believe that um, God is all-powerful, God is infinite in wisdom, but we have trouble believing that he's for us and that he cares for us. And I just want to encourage you to trust in his goodness towards us. You know, Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy which in other translations says, unfailing love, kindness will follow, pursue, chase me all the days of my life. And actually there's a commentary that notes that it speaks of God's freeness and um, readiness to do good to his people and, to, um, and for his favor and his blessing to chase after us. And Romans 8, 31, 32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, how will he not also, along with, all, sorry, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now that I've kind of talked to you about what compels us to obey, let's talk about what biblical obedience means, okay? Obedience is defined as attentive hearkening. It means that we hear, we make an effort to hear, as well as we listen to pay respectful attention to. And so that means that, you know, obedience is not merely reactive. It's actually proactive, right? We, and it's not to say that, you know, we only respond when we happen to hear him because, you know, let's say, oh, on a Sunday morning, I happen to hear him. But it's actually day, daily carving out space to hear him, you know, to quiet our hearts and our minds, to, to listen, to, um, to pray, to meditate, to be still. And it also talks about a willing subjection where we kind of put ourselves under God by submitting to his authority and his command. You know, and we're not, we're leaning in in order to hear God. So we hear to obey God. We hear to act readily on his word. And James says, like, to not be just hearers of the word, but doers as well, right? And I just want to say, I have the absolute privilege of mentoring some of the most amazing human beings that I know. And <laughs> I think they know who they are. <laughs> And of course, you know, they're not immune to weakness, um, hardships, and difficulties. <laughs> but, you know, what I admire most about them is their heart and their humility and their willingness to obey, even in the smallest things, like doing something, fixing something that nobody will ever notice or going to talk to a complete stranger, which isn't their forte. And the results of that, of their obedience in these little things, Nothing happens. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that there were signs, miracles, and wonders that follow, but nothing happens. And even the mentee that told me she went, they went out to talk to a stranger, the, the conversation turned awkward, and then it went silent. You know? But the point is that what they did is they obeyed because he said so. Right? They didn't have to weigh in why or the potential outcomes before stepping into obedience. Their obedience isn't tied to results. It's tied to relationships. They prioritize his will over their own will. 
And I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, there's something powerful about yielding to the sovereignty of God, knowing that his goodness will more than make up for anything that I am, even when it's super confusing and doesn't seem like it's headed towards any redemptive direction. Obedience, then, requires surrender. We cannot obey God unconditionally if we're holding tightly to our will. Either Jesus is on the throne of our life or he's not, right? And Jesus said in Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I command or when you don't keep my commandments? And so what happens is when we yield to God in obedience, we're actually surrendering our innate desire or compulsion to know and to be in control. Okay, when we surrender, a fundamental shift happens. Okay, and I love the words uh, that Robert Mulholland uses. He says we're we're becoming from the subject who controls all other things to being a person that is shaped by the presence, the purpose, and the power of God. And what that means is that the onus isn't on you to bring about the results or the change. The onus is on God to bring about His intentions as you surrender. Right. And, you know, my young adult years were very turbulent. And I could say young adult years because I'm older than most of you by a decade or more. And uh, it was turbulent in a sense that I had this perpetual pressure to figure myself out and figure my life out right now in this moment. Otherwise, I was squandering my life. And I felt like a failure all the time. And it was because I just felt lost and restless because... I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what I was good at, I didn't know what I was interested in, and I didn't know where I was headed. And um, you know what? What I've come to realize is the truth that obedience to God is actually what realizes my purpose in life. And because when, when I'm obeying him, it enables me to live out his will for my life in this season as well as in preparation for the seasons ahead, right? And if you think about the, life, the story of Joseph, right? He didn't go from favorite son to second in command in Egypt. He actually went through quite a few lows, right? He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he went to jail for being falsely accused, right? But with each season that he went through, he was faithful. He heeded the word of God, and he just obeyed God in everything, and God prepared him each step of the way. And I remember my mentor told me, you know, life is not lived in a straight line. It's actually zigzags. Because, so I was really fuss fixated on a destination or that I needed to go along this expected life trajectory. But when, so when I, my life didn't line up to that, I'm like, oh, I'm such a failure because, you know, it didn't line up. And, and I wanted to share one of the uh, things that got, one of the ways that God unveiled this truth to me was um, when I was 22, um, I was nearing the end of my internship here, which is equivalent to Viva College today. And uh, I was asking the Lord for direction for the next season of my life. And one day, Pastor Chris comes up to me and says, hey, Michelle, have you thought of Cambodia? And I'm like, in my mind, okay? I'm like, no, not really. Never crossed my mind, never will. <laughs> and, but it was like God imprinted that on my heart, and it lever- never left me. And I don't know about you, but the way that God speaks to me is usually when I have the urge to do something that I'm not naturally inclined to do, it's usually him. And so what I did was I leaned in, I prayed, I asked for wise counsel from my leaders, and I, and I stepped out in obedience. And how many of you agree that God doesn't move a parked car, that he doesn't steer a, a parked ship? 
right? So you need to be moving so that God can steer you in the right way, right? So, which is a side thing. But I, so I stepped out and um, God brought the miraculous provision financially. And the bigger miracle was that for those that don't know traditional Chinese parents, um, it was a bigger miracle to convince them to let me, their youngest and their daughter, to go halfway across the world to a developing country for an indefinite period of time because I didn't know my timeline then and to where I didn't know the language and I didn't know anyone, okay? So that was a bigger miracle there. So I was ready. I um, boarded the plane and I landed in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong, I was staying there for a few days because um, I needed to renew my ID. I was born there. And I stayed with my, my aunt who um, hosted me and helped me with last minute preparations. And one day she was like, Michelle, I, I read this. Like, and I, it reminds me of you. It made me think of you. So I took it, and it was like a newspaper clipping. And within that newspaper clipping, um, it was all in Chinese, which I can't really read Chinese that well, but I got the gist of it. And the message was this. Young people these days, or the trend these days, are that young people subscribe to this savior mindset or savior complex, which means they're out to save the world. They go to these third world countries, and they want to help people. And what they do is they're, they're putting their poor moms and, and dads in anguish and distress. And what it is, is selfishness. So, yeah, that was the, that was the message to me, okay? <laughs> and so needless to say, I was crying after reading that. Because I was like, God, am I a bad daughter? Like, am I a bad witness to my aunt that doesn't know you? Like, you know, what's going on here? And you know, when God called me to go to Cambodia, I wasn't like, yeah, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and that. Like, I honestly didn't know what I could offer, but I simply obeyed God because he opened the door and I felt him lead me there. And so I was already feeling lost and restless in that sense. But, you know, thankfully, I stuck, stuck it through, even though I was really quit, like really tempted to quit and go back. And I ended my um, eight months missions experience there. And uh, when I came back, to be honest, I didn't know, I didn't have the full picture of why I went. I didn't know what kind of impact I made there during my eight months there. And um, I mean, I, I did experience some personal and spiritual growth, but I didn't get the full picture until nearly 10 years later. Um, God leads me to lead a, um, some teams to go to Cambodia for short, short-term missions and to allow me to act as a liaison between our church as well as the, to the Cambodian church. And uh, is there a picture? Yeah, so those are my teams. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I'm, because of my experience with Cam- being in Cambodia, it enabled me to join the missions ministry of Viva Church. And what we do is we, um, we allocate the church's resources to local and international missions, and we also train and equip and organize short-term mission trips. So in that, like God really showed me that when you offer just your willingness to obey and your availability, God can do much more than you can ever imagine. And, you know, my life so far, like it, did, it hasn't panned out the way that I thought it would. And I went through a lot of periods where I felt like wandering because I was doing many different things that didn't seem like it was going towards a specific direction. I did like a few odd jobs here and there. I did some short-term missions here and there. I did a master's in a field that I didn't get into um, for work, and I returned to a job that I thought I left for good. And all this is to say that God then really challenged me. He said to me, Michelle, change your narrative. Change how you tell your story. Because when I 
obey God, I speak with the certainty that I'm living out his will. I speak with the certainty that I'm living out his calling for my life. And even though it doesn't make sense to me, even though the people around me don't seem to, of course it doesn't make sense to the people around me, and I don't see the big picture, but it's through these small glimpses, like with Cambodia, that he shows me how he beautifully weaves together all these apparently disconnected parts of my life and works it together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? And I would not be the person that I am today had it not been for these random experiences because they have shaped my heart, my mind, my character, and my faith. And so I want to encourage you, let God be God. Let him connect the dots. Let him be the potter in shaping us his clay. You know, rather than like struggle endlessly to figure things out, to make sense of things, rest in the mystery of God. And what do I mean by that is the fact that his ways and his thoughts are infinitely higher than ours. We'll never figure it out, right? And so there's a part of him, an aspect of him that we'll never know. And we need to be at rest with that because we can never fully know what he's doing, why he's doing what he's doing and how he's doing it unless he reveals it to us. And even if you think about it, the Israelites, they wouldn't have fathomed or imagined, you know, God's marvelous plan of redemption. You know, they, because they wouldn't have thought that God would send his son to die a cruel death on the cross to bear the sins of the world, right? And, of course, the Bible says that, you know, um, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those that are being saved, right? And so what I want to say is that obedience is our anchor in this world of uncertainty. There's so many things in life that are uncertain, like we could be here today and gone tomorrow, right? We can never be sure of anything. But when we walk in obedience, when we're obeying God, when we're um, hearing and putting into practice what he's telling us to, then we, we're anchoring ourselves in the certainty of who he is and his intentions towards us. And that's the only certainty we'll have in life. Um, and so obedience then needs to be our default and not our option. You know, the world sees us as being absorbed by religion, that we're kind of just feeding into blind obedience, right? Um, but, and that we lose ourselves in the process of, you know, blindly obeying. But you have to realize that when we obey God, we're actually becoming our truest selves. We're actually becoming our most authentic selves because we're in sync with our maker. We're in sync with the Holy Spirit through our obedience. And that when we're in sync with the Holy Spirit, then we're actually fulfilling our destiny or the purpose that he has created us and also, we're most effective for his kingdom, right? And so, in closing, um, I can, can I ask the worship team to come up? <laughs> okay, in closing, I just want to say that, you know, by obedience, um, I'm not saying perfect obedience, I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea because we'll never get it perfectly. But what I'm saying with, in terms of obedience is the posture of obedience. And it's the willingness, the ongoing willingness to obey God. And we have to know that undergirding this willingness to obey is the grace of God. We desperately need God's help to navigate and to walk this life of obedience. 
especially in seasons of wilderness, of waiting, of wrestling. And we have to give ourselves the leeway to press in, to um, seek God's heart in everything that we do. And I just want to encourage you that, like, God's grace is always extended to us. We have to never forget. We, we can never forget that as we're obeying him. And I want to leave you with this verse. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. I think a lot of people know. Um, but I want to read the message version. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. And I want to add hearing and doing what you've heard everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. And so I want to actually take some time for us to respond. I know I covered many different points here. But I want to ask you, you know, where are you at in terms of obeying God? Is your obedience driven by results or is it driven by your relationship with God? Are you obeying to earn God's favor or are you obeying from a place that you know that you're already made right with God? Is God calling you to surrender your desire to know and to make sense of things? Or maybe there's a specific area that God is telling you that you need to surrender. Or maybe even tonight, God is telling you to, to surrender your life to Christ, to receive him as your Lord and Savior. So let's just take this time for the Holy Spirit just to speak to us and to respond. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe that we weren't meant to do life alone, so feel free to reach out by following and DMing us at UV Young Adults. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you know.